Well, good morning. Good? Have a good week? Well, whether you had a good week or a bad week, we have those two. We are here together, gathered around the presence of God. I'm glad you're here. If you're joining us online, thanks so much uh, for joining us in this way. If you've got a Bible, we are going to head today to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 15 through 23. So over the years, I, I've spent some time in the country of Peru. I love it there. Love the people, love the country. It's a very picturesque place. Uh, but I, uh, on one of my trips, I visited a community uh, located on Lake Titicaca, which is a real but unfortunate name for a lake. Uh, this community is referred to as the floating islands of Euros. What makes these this community so unique is they live on these man-made islands that are woven together with reeds. It's really crazy how they've done it. But I took a boat. You have to take a boat because it, well, it's an island. And I got off the boat and stepped on the island, and it was like squishy. Like you were walking on a huge sponge. It was really disorientating. I mean, you're just squishing. And then they warned you that there's some spots that are weaker than others, and be careful because you could fall through into the lake. And they all knew where the spots were, but, you know, us Americans, well, we were left to fate. What's perplexing about these islands is that um, they were always shifting, always changing, Therefore, they were always having to repair them. I think that the floating islands of Euros are a fitting metaphor for our world right now. A bit unstable, shifting, quite a few weak spots. And as a result, each one of us, we're doing our very, very best to hold everything together in this very shifting, sometimes unstable, and maybe a bit squishy world. We're in week two of a message series uh, called Holding It Together. We're working our way through the book of Colossians. I believe that the crucial text for understanding this book is Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, in which the Apostle Paul writes, speaking of Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so here we are, we're, we're trying to hold it all together. And I've come to believe that our greatest challenge as we're holding it all together is the challenge of trust. Like right now, who do you trust? It's why things feel so unstable. Like even the people that I think I trust, like I don't know if I trust them or not. Each generation has its challenges its instabilities, its issues of trust. It was no different for those that received the letter of Colossians. The recipients of this book, though we call it a book, it's actually a letter, was a first century church in a city called Colossae, which would be located now in modern-day Turkey. This church existed during the reign of the emperor Nero. Nero was considered a god or a son of God. He was arrogant. His face appeared on every coin. He was looked to as the source of all things. Leadership and redemption were found in him, 
at least according to their myths and their culture. Now, he wasn't a great guy. He abused his power. He was cruel. He persecuted Christians, killing them in the most profane ways. He's noted as one of history's most cruel and sadistic leaders. And yet, he was the one in which people were looking to for leadership, for stability, and yet he only made things worse. And so the Apostle Paul, the author of the book of Colossians, writes a letter to a church that exists in this kind of cultural, social, political context. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, uh, were written a bit like a poem. And they, these verses, they, they give us a bit of a landing place for stability, for hope, for trust. Verse 15, I want to read through verse 23. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become its servant. So written in these lines, the message to the Colossian churches is you're not going to find your stability in in culture. You're not going to find stability in your emperor. You're not going to find stability in culture, you can't trust them. But what you can trust and where you can find your stability is in Christ. So in these, these, these lines, verses 15 through 23, there are, are three fundamental professions that the Apostle Paul makes. The first is that we can trust the source of all creation. The second is we can trust the one who gave his life for our redemption. And third, we can trust the one who is the model of God-designed leadership. And so as we turn our attention once again to this letter, we, we've got to realize that this, this letter was not intended to be dissected like an academic dissertation. This letter was meant to be read in church as a form of worship, meant to be applied to everyday life. And so we begin first by trusting in the one who is truly the source of all creation. Verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. One of the great questions of religion, of philosophy, of naturalism, is the question of the uncaused cause, or the uncaused first cause, or maybe said more simple, like, how did it all start? Like, where did it all come from? And while we filled many of the gaps that those questions address, there are still some things that are incredibly unclear. Now, I'm fascinated with uh, science and history and philosophy. I, I'm a nerd. I admit it. I love to read. I read hours every day. I spend a lot of time reading history and science and, and philosophy. And so I'm, I'm pro all of those things. I read both Christian authors and non-Christian authors. I read believers and I read atheists. I read all kinds of people because I'm interested in all perspectives. But there are some things that I come across and I'm like, oh, that's a stretch, right? So for instance, I was reading you know, reading about dinosaurs, which, I just, I mean, who, who doesn't like dinosaurs? Jurassic Park? I mean, I, incredible. I'm reading about a dinosaur, and the author and the artist drew a picture of what they believed this di- particular dinosaur looked like because they found a tooth. And because they found this tooth, it's like, this is what the dinosaur probably looked like. I'm like, how could you possibly know that? from a tooth, or even a leg bone. Like, I'm not anti, I'm like, I'm very open to a lot of things, but how in the world could you possibly know that? It's really a bit maddening. See, when you, when you study natural science, what you learn is that, that something appeared, and there was a bang, and then there was everything. But how did all that happen? Now, to be fair, if we turn to religion... There is a bit of the same question. Like, we believe there is a God who has always existed for all eternity, but, but how? Where? These are questions of the uncaused cause. And all of these worldviews, whether secular or religious, require faith. Because if we're looking to a source, the source of everything, I mean, we live in a world that has precise, mathematically perfect laws. But who created the laws? Where did they come from? I think even in religion, we make a lot of assumptions about God. And we formulate these answers about God based on these assumptions we made of God. And in doing so, I wonder if we unintentionally make God really, really small. This happened in the Old Testament. There's a story of a man named Job. The book is named after him. It's called the book of Job. And if you've ever read the story, what you discover is the story of Job is the story of a man who had a really bad day. Like if you think you've ever had a really bad day, read Job and you'll feel a whole lot better about yourself. Because in moments, Job lost everything. Job was a very wealthy man. In today's dollars, he would have been a billionaire. Job was a man who was pristine, notable in his leadership. But in an instant, he lost everything. He lost all of his possessions. His children were killed in a bizarre accident. And he became so sick and ill that he broke out in a rash and he sat in the dust and scraped his rash with pottery. 
His wife looked him in the eye and finally said, Job, it's bad. Why don't you just curse God and die? Like if my wife comes to me and says, Mike, it's bad, just curse God and die. All hope is lost, right? So Job is sitting in the dirt. All hope is lost. His wife says, curse God. Three of his friends come to visit him. They sit with him for seven days in the dust. They have conversations after seven days. And then Job begins to make some assumptions about God. And he challenges God about those assumptions. And because of his assumptions, Job makes God really small. God patiently listens to Job. But then we come to Job chapter 38. And God decides to respond to Job's assumptions. And this is what he said. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Like if God says to me, brace yourself like a man. Like something's coming, right? So something's coming. And this is what he says. Job, I've got some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy... Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting it to its shores, I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? And caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath the seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Job, have you ever explored the springs from which the sea come? Have you ever explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. And it goes on and on and on. Tell me about it if you know. God is saying to Job, your scope, your scale, your understanding is so small. Job, how dare you put me in a box of your own creation? And yet, the accusation made to Job thousands of years ago, I think, could very easily be made to me. Maybe to all of us, because we put God in our own box. I like Amazon. Yes, I'm a prime member. Do we put God in the box of our own understanding? 
Do we put God in the box of our own comfort level? Do we put God in the box of our own assumptions? Because when we do, I wonder, can we hear the voice of God echo through history? Where were you when the earth's foundations were formed? Tell me if you know. And so we say, okay, fine. Maybe, God, you're a little bit bigger, so I'll just get a bigger box. And yet the message of Job and the message of the gospel is God cannot be contained in a box. Sometimes we make God much too small. And in our vast search to figure it out, we make assumptions like Job. We often misuse the scripture, losing our sense of wonder, our sense of awe, our sense of mystery. Because if we can figure it all out, is he really God? The Apostle Paul, he brings clarity. He says, here's what's important. Verse 17. He is before all things. He stands at the edge of eternity. He is before all things and in him, in him alone, all things hold together. All things cohere. The universe owes its co continuing coherence to Christ and they are sustained by him. He is the uncaused first cause. Christ stands at the beginning of the universe as though he is the one through whom all things have come and he stands at the end as the goal of all things. See, I can live with stability in a very unstable and shifting world because I have deep trust in my creator who is before all things and in whom all things hold together even when they don't hold together the way I want them to. I say with the Apostle Paul as he writes in the letter of 2 Timothy, for I know in the one in whom I've trusted and I'm sure he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. Secondly, I can live with stability because I trust the one who gave his life for our redemption and reconciliation to God. First Colossians chapter one, verse 19. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated, all of us were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become its servant. When Christ came, Christ in bodily form illuminated God's essence, his character, and his heart. His essence and his character and heart are reconciliation and redemption. As God's representation, Christ brings clarity to our hazy notions of who God really is. Because listen, he's not some vindictive God sitting up in heaven waiting for you to screw up so he can throw lightning bolts down at you like he's Zeus. What we see in Christ is that he is a loving father doing whatever it takes 
to heal the brokenness of the world, moving us from hostility to friendship, which is the drama of all creation. He would pay any price, go to any length for you. I had a friend years ago. He looked me in the eye, and it was kind of a weird, awkward moment, but he goes, man, Mike, bro, I love you. I'd take a bullet for you, which seems a bit cliche, but I wanted to say to him, like, like, really? Like, I don't plan on a bullet coming at me, but if there was said bullet, it was coming towards me, would you stand in front of it? I mean, can I really trust that you would actually do that? My stability and my trust are in the one who already took the bullet. He took it for you, and he took it for me, and because of that, I can trust the one who is the model of God-designed leadership. Verse 18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. We are experiencing, in my opinion, a crisis of leadership. We have lost our trust in our government. We have lost our trust in the healthcare system. We have lost our trust in business. We have lost our trust in religion. And we've lost our trust with each other. It's a crisis. Shifting leadership results in unstable communities. Inconsistency is the breeding ground for frustration. Lack of integrity causes us to throw our hands up in the air. Is there anyone I can rely on or is everyone just reacting? Is everyone just reactive? Is everyone just angry? But Jesus, who also lived in a very volatile time, brought consistency, integrity. He could not be manipulated. He could not be bought. He was loving, but he certainly wasn't a people pleaser. Even secular writers recognize Jesus as the model of compelling leadership because Jesus like had a way about him, a way in which he led, a way in which he interacted with people, a way in which he served the Apostle Paul, specifically writing in Colossians, says that he's the head of the church. I think we get into trouble when we forget who's really in charge. Because who's really in charge of Northbrook Church? Like, is it you? Is it the members? Is it the elders? Is it me? I hope not. He is the head of the church. Now, I'm honored and humbled to serve as a pastor here. That he's chosen me to represent him. I do it to the best of my ability in my imperfection. But he is the head of the church. Which is why my most vital time each day is when I get up in the morning and sit in his presence. Because he's the head. It was once written that if Christ is the head of the church, it means that the destinies of creation and the church are bound together and that God's purposes for all creation gestate in the church's congregational life. The church does not exist to meet the needs of its members 
or to ensure its institutional survival, but to fulfill the redemptive purposes of Christ, its head. Now, yes, of course, we serve. Yes, of course, we meet the needs of the world. Yes, of course, we meet the needs of the people of this church. But our purpose, our mission is to make compelling followers of Christ. Our purpose is to be his hands and feet in the world to join him in his mission, bringing healing and reconciliation. Like that's our purpose. That's why we exist. We don't exist simply to perpetuate ourselves. Like existing to exist is a really poor mission. I put my my trust fully in Jesus' leadership because I trust his motive. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, he writes, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus' agenda was God's agenda. He served with great joy, and his heart was reconciliation. The people and God would come together. Like I trust his leadership because I trust his motives. I fully trust the leadership of Jesus because I trust his convictions. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Like he knew his mission. His mission was the kingdom of God. And he would not flip-flop for his own comfort or his own popularity. Like I'm desperate to follow someone who lives by their convictions. I mean, there's a lot of talk but often it's not followed up by action. Jesus lived by his conviction, so I put my trust fully in him. I also put my trust in him because he led a spirit-led life. Matthew chapter four, verse one, just one of the instances in which we read Jesus was led by the spirit. He often found time in quiet places to make space for the holy. I put my trust fully in the leadership of Jesus because he served with selflessness. He even said in the Gospel of Mark, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's our model. His leadership philosophy was to serve the world. And he changed history by doing it. No one has had more impact on the world than the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, people are going to fail you people are going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you. I probably already have. Our trust is in the one who exists outside of time. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I can put my trust there. Gracious God, Just pause for a moment and we, we sit together in your presence. I believe you're all around. I believe you're here. In our midst, you live in us. You work through us. pray, oh God, for every person in this room today. 
pray for those that have come in here today filled with joy, with peace, with contentment. Would they rejoice in that and share their joy and contentment with others? I pray for those that are frustrated. Pray for those that feel very unstable. For those that are angry or hurt or beaten down or depressed or hurt. Pray for those who no longer trust. Would you help us, oh God, to see, to really see you? truly are before all things and in you all things hold together and so I ask you today that you would make yourself very real and very known to all of us that are gathered here together in your name and help us oh God to place our trust in you your goodness your faithfulness because you are before all things and in you